0: That's right. Get 55% off at babblecom slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This week's episode is brought to you by Murder Most Malicious by Alyssa Maxwell. Fans of Downton Abbey will love the brand new mystery series from acclaimed author Alyssa Maxwell. In post-World War I England, the beloved family estate of Foxwood Hall is rocked by the disappearance and murder of one of their guests. 19-year-old Lady Phoebe Renshaw must cross social boundaries and work with her lady's maid to uncover the secrets within her own home and her own family. Buy your copy of Murder Most Malicious by acclaimed author Alyssa Maxwell today wherever books are sold. And find out more information online at kensingtonbooks.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. We did it. We made it to 2016. I hope everyone had a wonderful time over the holidays and got a chance to spend time with those that they love. Friends, family, whoever it may be. This episode is the best of 2015 part two. I made sure that my list was a little different than Chris's. That being said, by looking at the episodes that spanned both our lists... I can safely say that episodes 202 with Ryan Holiday and 215 with Todd Cashton were truly the best of 2015. As I mentioned, my approach would be a little bit different for this episode. As we moved into the new year and started thinking about what we wanted to accomplish in 2016, I really just identified four areas in which I wanted to improve. Those areas were productivity, sales, time management, and creativity. The first episode I picked was episode 180 with Corey Kogan, with a focus on productivity. In this episode, Chris starts off by asking Corey to fix his inbox, an issue I think most of us have. The last clip you'll hear, Corey talks about setting boundaries in order to be productive. I loved that thought and decided that would be a focus for me in 2016. Please enjoy this clip from episode 180 with Corey Kogan
2: the biggest problem we have and i'm going back to the beginning mm-hmm. in in the 21st century is the amount of decisions that are coming our way every single day we're knowledge workers we're paid to think innovate create and execute And so we're not in the industrial age where we have one little widget we have to do, and that's our job. So we have all of this information coming at us all day long, and it really translates into decisions. So the key problem we're trying to solve with the five choices is how do I handle all those decisions coming in all day long because I'm just handling them linearly. And by the end of the day, I go, boy, I, I was so busy, but what the heck did I get done? Now, I said all of that to answer your email question because email, here's a paradigm shift for you, is not just a bunch of messages. Every email is a decision. Mm. And your brain, which, by the way, is the number one time management tool of the 21st century, and I spend much of my time studying it, thinking about it and learning how to optimize it for that purpose. And so so with that, our brain is seeing all of these decisions coming in and every decision we make takes a load of energy out of the brain and you lose it for the work you should be doing on something that's more important. So if that's the case, then one of the things in that very quick lesson that I just gave you to skip over everything, uh, which is fine, knowing those principles I just laid out. The goal is if I have hundreds of emails coming in all day long and each one is a decision, how do I automate some of those decisions? How do I automate 20, 30% of them that are just mundane that I keep answering over and over and over? So, For instance, for me, I get a million newsletters because I'm always studying something around productivity. It's my job. But during the day when I'm on a, this with you, or I'm with clients. I can't be dealing with 20 journals coming in because what I have to do is consciously go, oh, I better move that to the newsletter folder. Up, oh, I got to move that to the newsletter folder. What I've done is set up either rules or filters so those things that are just mundane or routinized. I don't have to deal with. I predetermined where it goes. And so when they come in, I don't even see them. But 20 to 30 percent of the emails that would hit my inbox are going where I tell them to, to go. That is like the first thing you should do to relieve some of the email pressures that you have.
1: And quick question, follow up on that is those emails go somewhere. Do you ever go back to them? And if, well, if not, what's the point of even getting them in the first place?
2: Well, that, that's a very good point. Sometimes I like to relate it to your garage. You put stuff in the garage. You know the rule. If you don't touch it in a year, give it away yeah. kind of thing. But here's real, what's really important. When you're using rules – they the what should be automated are the informational things so like i said for me it's it's newsletters that go to a folder Uh, i do get to them because when i'm on an airplane uh, that's the time where i'll go to that folder and read the newsletters and you can also set rules or filters in some programs whereby it says if you haven't opened it in 30 days just delete it Mm. now here's what all what else i'll say and this is all in chapter four of the five choices is do not automate a task. So let's say, and I see this all the time, you your boss people have boss folders. So that it's like, okay, the boss sends you an email and says, Here, I need this next week, and you send that to a folder. Well, what all you're doing now is putting more stress on yourself because now you gotta keep checking that folder. Because it's like, okay, is there anything there I need to work on? So you don't want to send actionable emails to a folder. What you want to do is what we call our second master move, turn it into what it is. And a lot of the programs, Outlook, Google in particular, have these great functionality where you can just drag and drop or with one click, you take that email, turn it into a task, and give it a due date or a start date however you want to do that so so now I'm not sending it to a folder and you can't this is not a rule this is how you handle the email coming in instead of leaving it in your inbox and losing it It's like, okay, I need to start this task for my boss on Friday. Let me put the due date down or the start date is Friday. It goes into the task list and it's going to remind you when you need to start it. So you need to turn your inbox, your your email system into a productivity engine. And again, in the book, we give you a lot of tips how to make that happen. It's really quite cool. People go, oh, my goodness, I never knew these systems could do it. Um, but it's amazing what they can do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned it in the intro, uh, to this, to this episode, but the book is the five choices, the path to extraordinary productivity. And that's what we're going to focus on mostly in this episode. Um, but one thing that I wanted to touch on because it's so core to me and you made it crystal clear more so than I've heard in the past, this idea of decision-making, we interviewed, are you familiar with Tony Schwartz, the person? absolutely, yes, okay, so we interviewed him, one of my favorite guests of all time, and he really made it clear for me because oftentimes I find myself getting tired quicker than most people um, i 've finally gotten okay with the fact that I think it 's because i i 'm pretty productive in those six hours as opposed to drawing out ten hours, um, but i I felt bad about being tired early or sleeping longer. And he kind of told me about this decision-making process that you're talking about, how each decision drains your almost decision bank. But you're the first one that made me realize how many tiny decisions there are. So, like, I've always heard Steve Jobs wore the same thing so that he didn't have to choose what he wears.
2: Right. However,
1: when it comes to an email, I just figured I'm almost on autopilot, right? Okay, archive, delete, folder, blah, blah. But that's, that's still a decision. I never looked at those as decisions. They were, they were things to just deal with in a day.
2: They are all your brain. It's sometimes it's mindless, but it's not when you are looking at your email and you're saying, oh, delete that or put that somewhere. That's all conscious decision making um, or somewhere between the two. So, yes, and all the research shows every decision that you make depletes. Uh, you know, energy from your brain, which can be put to better use. I've also seen in an article someplace, I thought this was fascinating, where somebody said, well, every click is a decision. Wow. So so imagine that. I, and I, um, the jury's out with me on that. I'm, I'm mulling that one over because I think clicking can be very mindless, you know, it's it, uh, as well, But I do think deciding where an email goes uh, is higher up in the prefrontal cortex. So I think we are taking more energy for that.
1: It's so timely that you mentioned that. I had a call with the CEO of our organization yesterday, and I apologized for not working on something over the weekend. (laughs) And afterwards, I I felt bad because I'm like, "What, what kind of protocol have I set if the one weekend probably in however long I can count? I didn't see an email that I have to apologize for it. And, I, you know, I don't even know if he put that on me or I put it on myself. So I think oftentimes we have to look at what expectations and what boundaries are we setting for ourselves and blaming others.
2: That is the golden nugget uh, for everybody to be very introspective about, because I see this all the time where people are bitter in their organizations, bitter around they're dumping so much on me. Everything is, you know, right now. I have to work on the weekends. I've got to answer him at night. And yet a lot, I would say half of it is self-imposed. That we make assumptions like you did. You apologized. We make assumptions that everything the boss gives us is needed right now. And so it's the what I say to people, and we say it in the book, the number one thing you do need to do is really take stock of yourself and get very conscious about what you are doing, what you are self-imposing that is creating stress and waste. <clears throat> and if you're not sure, have the courage to go ask so you are clear on whether it's important or not. And I'll tell you, I also on Friday night. A colleague of mine sent me, you know, a, a, a document to be reviewed for a client that I'm going to be seeing on Thursday, a bunch of clients. And I could not believe it. I read it and it was late. And shame on me for looking at it late Friday night. Right. But mm-hmm. um, he so it was aggravating to me, which I try not to do because I don't want to be aggravated. And in it, he said here, I wanted to get this to you uh, so you can review it over the weekend. And I was seething and I you know, it's hard not to react to that kind of stuff. I let it go and I thought, you know what? I am not look- I'm not responding to him and I'm not looking at it over the weekend because I can't have people assuming that I'm gonna do stuff over the weekend. Because mm. if I agree to that, if I wrote back and said, Hey Jason, thank you, I will review it over the weekend, then now Jason is gonna move forward thinking, Oh yeah, no, Corey works on the weekend, send her whatever you want.
1: Right. And I
2: cannot have that behavior out there. So I need to change my behavior to get people to change their behavior.
0: The next set of clips we'll be listening to comes from episode 194 with Bob Berg. This episode focuses on sales and what we can learn from sales and the art of being a good salesperson. If you're one of the people that listens to this podcast for book recommendations, then this is the episode for you. There are so many great recommendations, so make sure you have your notebook ready. Please enjoy these clips from episode 194 with Bob Berg.
3: As I was starting to grow in sales, one reason was because I was reading books that weren't even about sales. I would start reading The Think and Grow Rich you know, by Napoleon Hill, uh, The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz, As a Man. Thinketh by James Allen, uh, psycho cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. I mean, these are books and and many others that had nothing to do, uh, you know, in, in an outward way with sales. It does, but not, but not, not inherently inherently it's about building ourselves and becoming the type of person who can then be an effective salesperson, uh, really when you think about sales and and why it's such a, a a metaphor in itself for for success and and for service is because selling by its very nature simply means or or it really can be defined as discovering what someone wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. That's what selling is. Uh, many people think of selling in a very backwards way. They think selling is trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need. That's not selling. That's being a con artist. Okay, Selling is is about the other person, not about yourself. It's about finding out, discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. Well, how do you do that? You do that through asking questions. You do that through listening. You do this through understanding their thought processes and how human nature works, what people are trying to obtain. Um, and you, you do this by learning how to connect the benefits of your product or service with that other person's wants, needs, or desires. So everything about the selling process means first, you've got to become a better person, a more effective person in order to do this effectively. It also means you must truly and totally focus on bringing value to others. One of my heroes, Harry Brown, used to say that in a free market-based economy, profit is simply the result of pleasing another human being.
1: I love that. Now, you mentioned there a number of books really quickly. And so, first of all, we will link to those books uh, on the post at smartpeoplepodcast.com. But I'm interested to hear, do you have a favorite? Do you have one, you know, outside of the ones you've written, obviously, which we're going to get into, that you recommend to people
3: or do you have a couple or an author, anything like that? Well, the books I've written are not my favorite books because I can't learn as much from them. (laughs) (laughs) Good boy. (laughs) You know, but um, there's other books aside from the ones I mentioned. There are books such as, uh, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie is another one that should just be in everyone's library and should be read constantly again and again and again. And it's one of those books that you can pick up every few months and just just go to any page and it's going to probably be exactly what you need to read i know that happens with me all the time when i pick that up then there's a book many people haven't heard about it's it's i don't know maybe my all-time favorite i'm not sure but but among among the top uh, top uh and it's by orison sweat martin he's actually a person he was the founder of the original success magazine and he was he's known by many as the father of the modern day personal development movement and uh, he wrote in 1900 i believe it was a book called peace power and plenty and it's all about the mind and it's all and it's written just in such a fantastic way i've got one of the original copies i i, I wouldn't even make notes in the book or highlighter I, I i did them all on sticky notes and then put the sticky notes in the book because i it, the the book is just too precious itself to even write in wow. but um uh, but that's a book that is just such a fantastic book every line just has wisdom in it that uh oh, it just, would just blow you away
1: i can't wait to look into that i love kind of finding ones that i've never heard of
3: yeah. And yeah.
1: and I wanted to get back to kind of what you were talking about prior to that, this the sales and you know, listening and asking questions with a, a little story that I've just it illustrated it so perfectly for me. About six years ago, I took a job at a startup just because I wanted to learn the startup life. And I took a job as an inside salesman, even though I took a cut in pay from I was doing finance prior and all this. And they they were they taught all these sales techniques and instead I said, you know what? I'm just gonna go talk to these people on the phone, and I, I enjoy things, right? I'm very curious. So when I would talk, they were all small business owners. So I would start asking them about their business. You know, oh, how do you do that? How did you start that? What was your business model? How did, you know, how much did it cost? What was your funding, blah, blah, blah. And I was crushing it. And people were like, man, you're really good at this. And I felt, it took, I mean, honestly, it took a year to figure out why it was because they were kind of reading off this script and telling the the service, you know, here's what we do. And I was having a 30-minute conversation, and at the end, I'd be like, oh, well, here's what we do if if it's something you find interesting. And that was it. And so it was like I came upon it in a way that I just wanted to learn about them genuinely and ended up having success that way.
3: Well, what what you were doing was exactly what the best salespeople do. You are genuinely, authentically, totally focused on them. Yeah. And they understood that. And that makes such a huge difference. And when this is the case, when someone knows you genuinely care about them and really wanting to know about them, they begin to know you, like you, and trust you. And and my probably my mantra if you will when it comes to to sales is that all things being equal people will do business with and refer business to those people they know like and trust uh-huh. and you know there's no there's no Faster, more powerful, more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by taking the. And here's what you did, which was so brilliant. Than by taking the focus off of yourself, moving from what we call an I focus or me focus to an other focus, uh, stepping outside yourself. Uh, in the in the go giver, uh, uh, Sam says to Joe, it's about making your win about the other persons um win mm-hmm. and that's what you were doing
1: yeah it's so funny just because and i say that only to highlight the fact that you know for the longest time my mom would be like oh you should be in sales and i said no i hate convincing people of things like i really feel uncomfortable about that and it took so long to realize that that's not it and that was the only reason i was telling that and that's the one of the main stories or lessons behind your book and your message. And I just, you know, can say from experience, like, that works, so if you're sure. in a position where you can flip that switch, do it. And, you know, we also, on the show, we had Dan Pink. And, uh-huh. he, you well, know, he wrote To Sell as Human, and that book opened my eyes, because he, the idea that he said, you know, the buyer now has oftentimes more information than the seller. You know, he said imagine when you go buy a car, you know more about that one individual model than the the car salesman selling it. I thought that was genius.
3: You yeah, know, well, I thought Dan's book was was fantastic. He's such a a great thinker. And in his book Drive which may have been his first book. I think and, it was. Yeah, and, and he talked about really what motivates people, and he talked about the difference between instr- in intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And it makes so much sense because when you really get to understand human nature, you realize that, that that people want to feel good about themselves. They want to feel important. They want to feel like they're making a contribution. And it, it's it, when you talk about leadership – uh, you look at the different types of leaders there are there are the the leaders who try to control through making people comply with their wishes and it it's not that you can't get to a certain level of success through doing that but you're never going to attain the kind of success as a leader as when you're able to elicit commitment from others and commitment from others only takes place when they know you genuinely care about them and their interests. You know, Dale, referring back to Dale Carnegie again uh, in his classic How to Win Friends and Influence People, what I believe is the foundational premise of that book is when he wrote, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons, So, in my opinion, the greatest influencers, the greatest salespeople, the greatest leaders are always questioning themselves. They're they're asking, how does how does what I'm asking this person to do align with their goals, right? Their wants, their needs, their desires. How does what I'm asking this other person? How does what I want this other person to do align with their values? And when asking ourselves these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, uh again, going back to, to to you earlier, genuinely, authentically, not as a way to manipulate another human being into doing our will, not at all, but as a way to build everyone in the process, now we've come a long way toward earning that compliance. And there's a huge, uh, excuse me, commitment. And there's a huge difference between compliance and commitment. A great friend of mine, a a fantastic leader, she's such a a wonderful, wonderful person. Her name is Dondi Scumaci. And I I love what Dondi says about this. I think it's so brilliant. She says, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to influence, uh, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. Uh Compliance will never take you where commitment can go.
0: Next on the list is Lee Cockerell. Lee was featured in episode 186 where Lee and Chris talked all things Disney, but also focused heavily on time management. Lee emphasizes how important time management is in regards to success in both your career and your personal life. If you take one thing away from these clips, make sure it's setting priorities in order to keep your life under control. Here's episode 186 with Lee Cockerell. Enjoy.
1: Why did you decide to go with time management? I mean, there's so many different things you've talked about, you've written on. What made you choose time management?
4: Well, you know, I wrote the first book, Creating Magic, which is really around leadership. Uh, the second book, The Customer Rules, is around customer service. And so I think I was thinking at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you know or what, how you're, what, what you're passionate about if you don't get it done if you don't implement, if you don't take action. And so this time management is something I'm really good at. I've been teaching it for over 35 years. I developed a system It's really strong. It really works. Already I'm getting notes from people who have read the book saying, wow, I didn't realize. Because one thing, it's not taught in high school and it's not taught in college. So people don't know how to organize themselves. They don't know how to set priorities. They don't know how to pick the three or four or five important things in their life and focus on them and let everything else fall by the wayside and people just need some some really education around this subject because at the end of the day you it, it's not about time management it's about keeping your life under control keep your kids under control your health your job your performance your learning your your aging parents how are you going to take care of them uh, your retirement, uh, your education, going back and getting your finance degree or whatever you're going to do. You know, you just think of all the things you've got to worry about. And most people don't worry about them. And then they turn around one day and it's Christmas again. And the next thing they you know, they've been working 30 years and they're very unhappy because time gets away from you. And you've got to sit back and really grab it again because uh, even one of my promotion pieces says you and I. Einstein had the same thing in common, 168 hours a week. Hmm. He, got, he gets a lot done. You didn't get much done this week. Hmm. <laughs> so, and it's a wonderful subject. And it can really balance your life. It can make you healthier. It can make you think about the important things so you don't have regrets someday that you wish you'd had been home for dinner more often. You wish you had exercise before you had the bypass surgery. You wish you had done better at investing before so you could have a retirement. You know, all these things are coming, and they come quick. And when you're young, it doesn't seem like it. But let me tell you, years go by. I'll be married 47 years next August. And wow. It's, uh, I married a 22-year-old, and now she's on Medicare. This is how life goes by. <laughs> yeah, wow.
1: You know, that's an interesting way of looking at it, actually. I like that
4: timeline. <laughs> oh, it goes by quick. I mean, I have my son, Daniel. He's 46. Where'd wow. he come from? Yeah, right. How can I have a 46-year-old son? I have grandkids in college. Oh, you know? man. It's just... It's shocking. Yeah, and people are—you don't need to have regrets. You need to wake up every morning and make the most of it. You know, you spend your money and you spend your time. Most people spend their money pretty good, but they don't spend their time wisely. And if you know when you don't spend your money wisely, you get in credit card debt. If you don't spend your time wisely, you get in all kinds of deficits. And uh, I will say that where you spend your time is going to be directly related to how your life turns out—from your health to your marriage to your children to. Every part of your life will be related to how much how you figure out how to spend your time every day.
0: Smart People Podcast is supported by Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. Wealthfront software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously only available to the wealthiest investors for just one quarter of the cost of using a traditional advisor. Wealthfront monitors your account 24-7, automatically rebalancing your portfolio, reinvesting dividends, and working to maximize your after-tax returns. Wealthfront is overseen by a team of investment experts, the same experts who launched the index fund revolution and who have written some of the most important books in finance. In case you're still not convinced, you should know that Wealthfront manages over $2 billion in client assets and have saved millions of dollars on taxes for its clients. So with Wealthfront watching over your investments every day, what will you do with all your extra time? Visit Wealthfront.com smartpeople smart people to get your first $10,000 managed for free. Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC registered investor advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risks and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure.
1: Now, how much do you think of um, this this mindset around time management came from – I know you were in the
4: Army for a little bit, right? Yeah. Do you think you kind of learned the basics of that there? I did learn a lot about discipline, and they don't really uh, accept many excuses in the Army, by the way. Yeah. You don't come to formation late, ever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You don't come to dinner late because there's no dinner after about 30 (laughs) minutes. And, yeah, I did learn a lot about discipline, and I like discipline, and I like routine, and I like things organized, and I think most people who go to work every day like to work in a disciplined organization so they know how things work, how things come, and you just think about how important discipline is in anything, flying an airplane, all this thing this week, you know, discipline, discipline around doing it the right way. Sometimes you're in a business where lives are at stake, and other times you're service, you ruin somebody's anniversary because they come to the restaurant you don't do a good job, and it's their 50th wedding anniversary, and it's a disaster. I mean, you got to be organized, and uh, or you do a lot of damage in life. And so I love this subject. I just love it. I love the impact it's having on people. And part of that is that Thrive 15 that I was telling you about, you know, we, I just did seven videos on this new website, Thrive15, and I put it up there because I guarantee you, if you don't get things done, nothing else really matters. Mm-hmm. No matter how much you can read my other two books, but if you can't implement them, so what?
1: You've said, and I've heard this before, you know, kind of choose the three things, maybe the three things that day, month, year. Do you talk at all about how to choose those things properly?
4: Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, I have three things I focus on, I, I, and I can tell you, if I just walked up to any person on the street and told, said, tell me the three things that are top of mind for you, that's most important in your life, you're working on every day, they couldn't. They go, blah, 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 Right. <laughs> they don't know, and I do, I know, number one for me is my health and taking care of myself, and people say, well, it's a little selfish, I said, no, my wife said, Lee, take care of yourself, you can't take care of your family, and so I exercise every day, I have a strength trainer twice a week. I'm about to turn 71 i 'm very strong. I weigh exactly what I weighed when I got out of the army. Wow. 180 pounds 20, 50 years ago. I am in great shape. I can you know I can I, Last week, I walked 70 miles last week. What most weeks I do Most weeks I do at least 40, and many weeks 50. I walk six to eight miles a day. I do it on purpose, I do it early in the morning, I do it in the afternoon, sometimes I do it while I'm talking on the phone, sometimes I go to the airport early when i got a flight and walk for an hour, get another six, 7,000 steps in. My weight is good, I feel good, I have high energy, and you know, if you don't have high energy, it's hard to be a good leader. It's hard to be a good parent if you're snapping at your kids and you don't want to hear it. And so these are things you've got to decide. So health is number one, my family is number two, and number three is my finances and my business. And I work on those three things and everything else falls by the wayside. I mean, you know, if I get those three done, then I can go look at my Facebook page and promote it or I can go have a drink with friends or I can go play golf or go do something. But I got to get those three things done. And you need to know what are the three most important things. And when you get those done, you're like, man, let me tell you, you get your health in shape, you get your family in shape and you get your business in shape. You don't worry about too many other things.
0: Last but not least is an episode on creativity with Dave Burse. Dave was featured on episode 174. Creativity is a hugely important topic to me. Being creative makes me feel like I'm actually putting value back into this world. Like Chris mentioned in the episode, I didn't really consider myself creative before making this podcast. It's now been five years since Chris and I started the podcast, and I truly do believe that it's caused each of us to want to continue growing creatively. So here we go to round out my... Best of 2015 Part 2 episode, as featured on episode 174, here's Dave Burse.
1: I wanted to now move into this creativity, basically. I mean, what we've been talking about definitely helps the creatives, and I'm sure if you're out there, your mind's going a million miles an hour about, oh, I I can finish this, or I can pair up with this person. That's just what we do as creatives. So I wanted to first... Ask you, have you always considered yourself somebody who just had to create, loved being a quote unquote creative?
5: Yeah, I think just about everything that I've done um, since I left school has involved creativity in some way. Um, I've, my goodness, I've been a session musician. I was a, uh, I was a recording engineer. I was a, a stand-up comedian. Um, I, I ended up being a, a breakfast show DJ at one point, um, and I, I, then I had my sort of long sort of stint in, in advertising that was all about trying to harness your creativity and to be able to be creative on demand, I suppose. So I've always been fascinated with this, particularly in, um, in, in creative departments of, of ad agencies, because I could see when I was running departments, I could see who was doing well and who wasn't. And I I started to, um, about 15 years ago, I was working for a a big agency, and um, for my department, I had some juniors in there that I felt they were coming back with the same kind of formulaic ideas again and again, and I wanted to show them that there was a lot more approaches. So I I wrote this document for them, which I told them to keep in their bottom drawer, and it was uh, the, the, the creative cheat sheet that they were able to refer to if they find themselves getting in a rut or coming out with the same predictable stuff. Here was challenges. Here were, were ways of challenging your thinking uh, to come up with totally new ideas. And it, it really worked. And then I put it online and it became quite popular online. And then uh, I, I suppose I, I turned that into I turned that into a book. Um, but I, I've done lots of research over the years as well. I mean, I, I, I love uh reading up and thinking about how the mind works and there's some great research we're getting at the moment from brain science and just since uh since i wrote the book about three or four years ago um some findings have come out about how the brain actually works how the creative brain actually works and as part of some of the stuff that i'm doing with uh with creating videos i'm actually um i'm wanting to do some stuff with universities i'm wanting to do some tests And I'm wanting to use myself as a guinea pig and and some of my friends who are comedians and musicians and and actually see how our brains work in different situations and see if creativity is one thing or if it's numerous things because there's so much misunderstanding around this. It's one of the most misunderstood areas. And I think that people who consider themselves to be creative people like artists, like advertising creatives, like musicians, they want to keep that mystique Mm -hmm. because that mystique makes them look sexier
1: that's a great point i never thought of it like that but and and that actually might be the reason i joked we did a a promo for the podcast a long time ago and my one quote we each got one quote was oh my gosh i think i might actually be creative because i went through 25 years and people would say uh you know if i get in some kind of conversation no no i'm not creative i'm just good with math and i like sports Right. That was just my default because I played sports my whole life and my brother was an actor and a musician. So he was creative. I was athletic, which is fine. Like I I was self-imposed. I don't think it was really my parents it my society, whatever. But eventually I learned, wait a sec, like I love doing new things, learning new things, picking things up. That's what creativity is, in my opinion. How do you believe it's misconstrued in the world?
5: Oh, I I think in in, in numerous ways. Um, I think uh, one thing that's quite important to me is is that creativity, you can split very easily what we consider to be creativity in the West. And this is actually quite a Western thing. Um, so, So we consider in the West that creativity is one thing. And I would like to split that in two. I would like to split it into creative thinking and creative execution. So creative thinking is problem solving. It's being able to attack a problem and come up with a new novel solution to that problem. And there's techniques you can use uh, to do that. And then there's creative execution. You can be an absolutely amazing guitarist but not be able to write music. And that's being a great creative executor. Um, A lot of classical musicians are fantastic creative executors because what they do is they take other people's compositions that have been created and they execute them in the most beautiful way. Dancing creative execution. So we have to understand that there's a difference between creative execution and creative problem solving. Creative execution, yes, people might be physiologically uh, built to be a great dancer. Their brain might be wired in such a way that actually music makes complete sense to them. Um, And then on the other side, creative thinking, creative problem solving, anyone can do that and anyone can get better at it. It's not down to this, this niche ability.
1: Well, and I think you know, that's where this conversation is going to go. I, you know, I'm really interested in it, especially because the subtitle of your book is Understanding Where Ideas Come From and Helping You Have More of Them. And we all want to have more of them. I know you mentioned that creativity is a process. And I don't think enough people hear that. But from your perspective, I'd like to know what you believe that process to be. And I'd imagine it's because in the advertising world, you're basically like given something and then it's, hey, we need something creative out of it. So you have to put some process in place, I would imagine.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the same for anything that you do. There is a process. And a lot of creatives hate me for saying that there's a process to, uh, to creativity because they, they like to think that creativity is this wonderful thing where you sit back in your chair and you put your feet in the desk and you stare out the window. And then at some point, Bingo! <laughs> you know, here comes the idea. That's it. The problem solved. Um, and that that whole sort of eureka moment kind of thing isn't actually. It's a lovely thing that can happen, but you have to follow a process to get there. And maybe people are doing the process, not realizing they're doing it. So the first part of the process, um, to me, is actually your habit. If you want to be a great creative person, you have to spot things that other people don't spot you have to constantly be on the lookout um, for new pieces of inspiration to be seeing things that other people don't see because if you only have the same input as everyone else that's all the stuff that goes into the, the idea hopper that, that can possibly create ideas you, you need the input before you can get the output and if you don't have enough input and you don't have very interesting input and you've only got the same input as everyone else you're only going to come out with the same ideas that everyone else would so the first thing actually is, is this general input phase, which is, is a habit for your life. And you, you have to be spotting the stuff that other people don't spot. It's collecting dots, is what I call it. And, and you've got to collect the dots uh, before you can connect them. Then the, the next level is, is actually you kind of define what the, the problem is that you're solving. So at that point, you're, uh, you're collecting some very specific dots about that problem. And then what you do is you start to think about them. And when you start to think about them, at this point, you're kind of using your conscious brain, that, that part of the brain where all the voices are telling you to kill, kill, kill. <laughs> you know, the, 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 you, this is the place where you hear the voice. It's kind of in the, the, the frontal lobe of your brain. Um, and, and that's a very good part of your brain for doing quite obvious connections. And what the frontal part of your brain does is it, short, it stores recent input you've got. Which is why very often when you start thinking about a problem, it might be a a TV show you saw a couple of nights ago that ends up coming, being the thing that helps you come up with that solution. And that's great. But what it's doing is it's only giving you quite recent material to work with. Um, And and conscious connections are generally quite obvious uh, connections. Now, that might solve the problem. And that's great. But the most important thing about it is you don't take your first idea. Uh, you, you need to keep going, and you want to come up with as many ideas as possible. You keep digging, keep digging, keep digging, and what happens is you reach a plateau. And at that point, you—you you ever had that thing where you kind of like slap your hand against your head and kind of go, "Oh, think, think, think! Come on, <laughs> come on, think!" And 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 you're so desperately trying to make yourself think. You're never going to think like that because you're in a you're in a place of stress. Your brain is in absolutely the wrong state to make new interesting connections. So what you do at that point is you need to take a break and step away. And and, um, at that point, you've kind of found the edges. If if you've thought about the problem enough, you've kind of discovered the edges of where this problem is and where the potential solutions could come from. And you go away, you do something else, you apply your front brain to something completely different. And then you, you come back the next day or when you've had a sufficient rest and you keep working on it. And there's one of the things that they found with brain science. There's a beautiful thing that happens, um, or can happen if you're if you're lucky enough. And that's when an idea comes to you, and you kind of it's, it's just this. It is a little bit like that eureka moment. The hairs go up in the back of your neck, and an idea comes to you, and, and really quite formed very often. And do you ever find this? That ideas will come to you when you've just woken up in the morning, or if you're you're having a shower or you're or you're on the bus, maybe
1: you know usually for me it's um there's two times when as i'm falling asleep and yep. when, and when i'm driving that's the biggest one for me, honestly, I find it so wow. weird,
5: yeah well, do you know part part of the reason for that because that that fits in with what happens here is that there there's a, an area on in your right part of your brain uh, just above your ear and it's called the anterior superior temporal gyrus, and they have discovered. Um just in the last few years using uh MRI scans, that just before a moment of insight, there's increased blood flow to this area of the brain. Now, that only happens when your brain is in alpha state. In other words, when you're relaxed. Mm -hmm. Which is why ideas come to people when you're relaxed. You feel quite relaxed and comfortable in your car. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So so there you go. It's a it's a it's a an environment you're comfortable in, you're 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 relaxed when you're there. When you're going to bed at night, again, you're relaxed as you're going to sleep. And, and it's at those moments that um, your brain is in the right stage for the back brain to throw its idea, because it's been working on the problem as well. It can throw the idea onto the projector of your front brain, and that's when you get that solution. Now, you can only get those eureka kind of moments if you have done all the groundwork in advance.
0: All right, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed our Best of 2015 Part 2. If you want the links to each of the episodes you heard in this Best of, please head over to the Best of 2015 Part 2 post on smartpeoplepodcast.com. Don't forget, there are many ways to get in contact with the show. You can reach out to us via email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. If this is the first time you've listened to this show, please don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you could head over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave a rating and review, Chris and I would greatly appreciate it. We're back on schedule with our normal weekly interviews, so please stay tuned. We've got a lot of exciting interviews coming up, and we will see you all next week.